litigation becomes a proxy for a, a different fight. And so when you see intractable problems that can't be solved, it's typically because you're actually focused on the wrong issue. Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnall, President and CEO of The Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself, how can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire Podcast is Gordon Capern. Gordon is a senior partner and leader of Pallier Rollins corporate and commercial litigation practice. In practical terms, though, what Gord does is he represents people who want to sue other people or who are themselves being sued. And the funny thing is that though litigation is an inherently adversarial practice, the approach that Gore takes is anything but. And on why should you hear what he has to say? Well, even if you are never going to sue someone or be sued, Gordon's insights really show that conflict is often driven by hurt, by emotional, uh, you know, by not being heard, and by the desire to seek redress in whatever means possible. And he understands how to help people move past these things and that litigation is not always the way to go. So if you ever find yourself in conflict, will find yourself in conflict, are approached by someone in conflict and you're wondering, how do I derail this? How do I get this to a place where both sides actually feel good about the resolution? What he has to say is very relevant. I think it's something that anyone, particularly in today's troubled times where we have such polarization of debate, anyone would get value from listening to. I know I certainly did. And I encourage you to uh, take note of what he has to say. And now my conversation with Gord Capern. And I don't say this lightly, but you've really built a reputation as one of Canada's, uh, perhaps North America's top litigation lawyers. And I know you do a huge amount of work, for example, in the mining sector for major players like Barrick. But you know, what also stands out to me is the, uh, the work you've done in, in for some very unique clients. Like uh, I know you acted for Omar Khadr when he was incarcerated in Guantanamo and helped uh, work with the team that brought him back to Canada. So you've, uh, you've certainly built a great reputation and it's, it's wonderful to have you on the podcast. Yeah, thank you, Bart. I appreciate the kind words. Yeah, and you know, the genesis of, of you coming on uh, begins like all good moments in life, uh, climbing up a mountain together in, uh, in Spain on our bikes. I know we were, we were doing what, some 20 kilometer climb and we were sitting there and uh, talking about litigation and talking and you were telling me about kind of a, a new mindset that with which you've begun to approach litigation in your practice really grounded in empathy and psychology. And uh, I just thought it was so fascinating for anyone who's involved in litigation, but more broadly for anyone who uh, really is involved in disputes, contentious disputes, and some powerful thinking about how they could approach those disputes uh, the right way. So glad to have you on to talk a bit about that. 
Thank you. That's a topic of great interest to me. Yeah, and maybe before we dive into it, if I could get you to introduce yourself and you know what's led, what your career, uh, how your career has led you to this this new mindset um, around litigation. Just give us the background. When I started my practice, I, I would I would probably describe myself as being a classic confrontationalist and an adversarial sort of person. Um, you know, in in the mindset that people. Um, you know, see when they see shows like Suits and right. and some of the other popular television coverage of the way they think lawyers operate. I think when people are beginning their careers, and particularly I, I, I can say in my case, I did a, adopt a more and practice in a more adversarial and confrontational way, which was all about um, you know using aggressive means in order to try to uh, advance and protect our clients' interests. And what I began to realize over time was that there were um, much deeper issues at play than the particular fight that had brought one of the protagonists to, to me. Um, and so I started asking some more questions about, you know, okay, that happened on Saturday. What happened in the weeks before that? What happened in the months before that? And as you'd start to ask more and more questions, the onion would unpeel and you'd begin to realize that in many cases, the issues go back, not weeks or months, but years. Um, and in the case of family businesses, back to a time when uh, perhaps the brothers were treated in a way by the parents that they viewed as being inequitable. You know, the sibling rivalry had, was, that dated back to their teen years was, was live and in play in the ongoing business dispute decades later. And, and the human condition is on full display. Hmm. Yeah. And, and that you're brought in, I imagine, as a litigator, because, you know, for whatever reason, those grievances have reached a point where people <laughs> seek to, I guess what gain compensation or or almost uh, kind of exact their own pound of flesh in response is that uh, is that kind of what you started to see and and the limitations of that? Yeah, I mean, people present to me and to other litigation lawyers at a time where they've they're they, they've reached the tipping point in the relationship, and it's usually some minor event um, uh, that has brought them there because it's just it's been it's been one thing too many and and the, it's it's been one thing too many on a common theme so for example one brother you know is the elder child and has been essentially handpicked by the parents to run uh, to, to run the business uh, on the understanding that the other sibling will also be in the business, but the dynamic of the favored son or favored daughter permeates the relationship. And so, you know, the, the aggrieved sibling will show up and say, you know, today Bob uh, took off for Florida, didn't speak to me and uh, just left and, and didn't even care about whether or not that was going to have an impact on the business or on me. Hmm. And I'm tired of it. And it's just too much. They, they feel their interests have been disregarded. They feel that their ex- expectations in the business aren't being met and they feel that that's going to continue ad infinitum. And, and, and that is a very common theme. Uh, and then, you know, the family, the, the family business are the ones where I you know, you ask the question, how did I come to start paying more attention to this? Mm-hmm. It's because it, it, it emanated in, in the, in, I guess the most fertile field for that, type of uh, observation, which is in, you know, close personal relations that transmogrify into business relationships, sometimes voluntarily and other times through family coercion. And then, so, you know, people sort of have this view that uh, 
you know, psychology has a place in in what we think of as personal litigation, like matrimonial law. Um, my view and my what I advance and assert is that it's actually any time that you've got people who are interacting with each other, mm-hmm. uh, psychology plays a an essential role in understanding uh, what has led to to disputes, what has led to a breakdown in relationships, whether it's personal relationships, business relationships, friendships, you name it. Um, and the concern I had and developed, I guess, over the years was that was that litigation becomes a proxy for a, a different fight. And so when you see intractable problems that can't be solved, it's typically because you're actually focused on the wrong issue. Hmm. Uh, the, the issue is the hurt or the grievance that, that emanates back sometimes, you know, months, right. decades, years. And that's not, you know, the, the, and what people are trying to do is solve the problem that happened this past Saturday. And that, uh, that just in my, you know, in my view, that's the symptomatic approach to that. That's, that's essentially the same as trying to cure a patient with, with a profound disease by treating, uh, you know, one of 20 symptoms of the, of the illness. So, so, th- so you uh, reached so this, this realization and what did you settle on or begin to develop as the new mindset? How, how did you suggest it yourself well, and also your clients should start thinking about the process? So, I mean, that's a, that's a great question. Thank you for that. When I began to see where we were solving for the wrong issue, I stepped back and I asked myself this question, which is, you know, client comes to me and says, here's my problem and I want you to solve it. What's my job as the lawyer? My job as the lawyer, the, high, the overarching responsibility that we have to our clients, which is a responsibility that we take enormously seriously at the bar, and our job, the overarching obligation we have is to look after the best interests of the client. And sometimes that means following their instructions. And sometimes it means telling them that the instructions that they've given us aren't going to solve the problem that's actually presenting itself. And so the, the first thing that I've tried to do now is to take a more holistic approach to understanding what their best interests are. And I start from the premise in that 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 litigation as for those that have been involved in it, I I hope this will resonate with, with them. Litigation is inherently a sideways and backwards business um, in the sense that you're solving a problem or trying to solve a problem that happened in the recent past. It's not necessarily going to help you. And in fact, in most cases will not help you uh, in the future. (laughs) Amazing. Uh, I just have to say, it's amazing to hear you say that. I mean, that must surprise no, and, clients to hear that. No, and I, and I think that having the, the courage and the, to, to, to be candid with clients about that is, is important. And the good counsel that I know do that, and they do it regularly, mm-hmm. and, and, they, and they do it consistently with their clients, um, recognizing that, you know, if you actually solve for what the real issue is, you've got a client for life, and you've probably got a friend for life uh, right. as well. Um, and you've got someone who uh, will see you more as their shepherd than than as their you know their hired gun. And I think that the more that we adopt the mindset of being people's shepherds, you know, the the, the better off we're all going to be. The better off our clients are going to be, and the better off we're going to be. And I think the greater satisfaction we're going to take from our work. Because what I see, you know, most of the time in in litigation is people are are coming to me. I, I look at I, I can think of some very acute examples of this. I mean, I had. I have two clients who have are now very, very close friends of mine who came to me. They were in a very, very difficult partnership with 
a very large player who has played a very dominating and aggressive role in the relationship. And they wanted to fight back. They had been beaten up enough. They had been pushed around too much. They were upset. They were feeling beaten down and demoralized. And I and and they wanted to fight back. You know, in order to prove that they weren't going to back down, and that's a very typical manner in which people present. And and looking at them and saying to them and having a candid conversation, which took weeks to um, mature, to say you actually don't want to be in this relationship at all. Hmm. Um, You you need you are like these are people, two guys who are absolutely brilliant at what they do. They're in the marketing world, and they're some of the best people in the world in, in doing what's known in their world as data-driven marketing and, and having them in a relationship which is corrosive and hard on them is, is not a tenable long-term solution. And so reorienting them away from, from the battle that they sought towards a more positive outcome that would see them free of the relationship and working in a positive way and doing things which are in their strike zone. Uh, rather than like litigation is in no one's strike zone except litigators. Right. Um, you're not, it's just, people don't do it every day. And so like anything else, we don't do every day. Most of us aren't good at it. We do, we should focus and spend our time doing what we're best at. And for most people, litigation isn't it. So having a sort of backup and say, what's the best interest of this particular client? The best interest is, is actually not to pick that fight. The best interest is to do, is to develop a strategy that's going to see them exit the relationship completely mm-hmm. and then orienting them to that. And then, that, and then from there, sort of, I'm happy to stop there if you'd like, but I just want to sort of tie it back to the oh, point yeah. about, about the source of the injury, knowing that what needs to be solved in that isn't whether they've made enough money from the relationship or not. What needs to be solved for that is that they're in an abusive relationship and they've been hurt by it. Hmm. How often when you have this conversation and you essentially try and talk them out of going forward with litigation, how often does the client say, no, I want to do it anyways? So sometimes with clients, it's not a matter of, pers- like in this particular instance, the example that I just gave you, it's not a matter of persuading them that, that they shouldn't litigate. It's a matter of persuading them about the remedy that they should be seeking in any litigation. So they, they come in often in litigation looking for a dollar number as a proxy for what the outcome should be. You know, I was, I was hurt. I was mistreated. I'm wounded. The dollar number is what I want. And it strikes me that when you're getting to what the opportunity is, you help them see a broader set of, of outcomes and goals, whether they go forward, as you said, with litigation or not. So, so one of the things that we're seeing uh, in full force today, which which was not the case 20, well, 25 years ago, is is, is the, the prominent role that mediation is playing in the litigation process now. Um, so there's a conventional litigation process, which is a lawsuit in court. And the second thing I need to talk about is arbitration, which is the first door, i.e. litigation, but not in a private environment in front of an arbitrator who will have a decision-making ability that is exactly like a judge for the most part. Um, it just happens behind closed doors and the public doesn't see it, which is what they do when you file a lawsuit in court. The third thing is is mediation, and mediation is a consensual arrangement in which people who are in conflict with each other agree to meet with 
a, a person who will help them try to solve the problem. And mediation arises and can occur in any of those, in any of the environments. And so good counsel today will invariably recommend to their client that they participate in a mediation at the earliest opportunity, at the earliest appropriate opportunity, because people have to be ready to mediate. And so, for example, in a conventional lawsuit that happens in court, one of the things you'll hear from judges is, you know, have you guys tried to mediate this case? And and mediation will happen within the confines of a lawsuit. It will happen within the confines of a private arbitration. It will happen independent of both of those sometimes. So, if, you know, if, if you've got good counsel who think that you don't actually need a lawsuit to get to the problem, there will be a recommendation that mediation happen before a lawsuit or an arbitration is even started. And so, and so that leads hmm. to the question, who's like, who's the, who, who mediates, like, who, who do you go right. to, to be, to it's, not your own, it's not your own lawyer, right? I mean, you, you, for example, if you're hired, can't be a mediator, can you? No, my, my, not for that in, in those cases, not normally. Uh, normally, you need an independent person who doesn't have a dog in the fight. Um, you know, my job in a, in a, when someone comes to retain me is to protect their best interests. The mediator's job is to try to find creative solutions that are going to leave both parties feeling like they've reached an agreement where their needs and interests have been met. And who, who typically are good mediators? There's a there's a handful of retired judges who've uh, done a remarkable job advancing the field of mediation in Ontario. Um, there's a bunch of lawyers that are really really good at it, um, and and there's a bunch of people in other professions. There's some accountants who've got uh, high IQ and high EQ um, who are particularly effective at mediating uh, disputes which emanate out of accounting problems. Um, there are engineers who are good at it. Um, and I'm sure that there are psychologists who are, you know, you look, you look at mm -hmm. what, what do marriage counselors do? M marriage counselors are first and foremost mediators. Right. Uh, well, they bring uh, both so, parties to the room. And, and I guess that's really goes to this, to this mindset that you're talking about where, you know, to re, you know, it's, it, it almost prevents you from allowing the relationship to break down if you're going to a mediation, because I imagine you have to sit in the room with the other side and actually talk um, yeah. work on something where you both empathize with the other party. Is that, is that right? That's it, it, exactly right. And, you know, so one of the guys that I've got enormous regard for in the world of mediation is George Adams. And, you know, George, George is a, was a guy who was sat on the Ontario Superior Court as a judge for a couple or three years, maybe four years. I don't remember precisely back in the mid 1990s. He was a labor lawyer in his when he was in practice and he sat as a judge. He's one of the most brilliant guys that I've met over the years. And he was graduated near the top of his law school class and he, he sat for three or four years listening to cases and he realized in very short order that a trial particularly, but the litigation process more generally, you know, the litigation process culminates in a trial if you're not able to resolve it on the way through. The trials are uniquely poor environments to solve the issues that we've been talking about over the course of the last 40 minutes. You know, they're, you're never going to get, there's a limit to what mm -hmm. judges can order. You know, they can't order people to apologize to each other for their misconduct. They can't order people to acknowledge that they've misconducted themselves in, in yes. some way, deliberately or otherwise. I mean, a lot of times people engage in misconduct not thinking that it's misconduct. A lot of times they do things inadvertently or, or with uh, with obliviousness to the, the impact it's going to have on on other people. And so... What George recognized is that the trial process is just completely ill-equipped to deal with solving
evolving and allowing people to process the injury that's brought them into the dispute in the first place. And he's done one of the techniques he uses that I just uh, love is he, he, he brings everybody together. The lawyers do not make opening statements at the start of the mediation. George will have in advance the mediation. Each side will have, will have filed with him a written brief explaining their case, explaining what's an issue, explaining what needs to be solved. And George will read them carefully as he does. He's a hard worker and, and he'll sit for the first half day of a mediation and he'll simply tell you what he understands the issues to be having read the material. Mm. And he does it in a very neutral way. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, poke any, anybody in the eye when he's doing it. And, and the only invitation that goes to the parties and to the lawyers in the room are whether he's, he's identified the issues properly from, or whether there's anything people want to add to it. And then he sep- separates people and goes into different rooms and he'll pick one side to start with. And one of the things he does is he goes into each room and he says to the people, I want you to write down on the, on the, on the easel in the room, the manner in which the people in the other room feel that they've been treated unfairly. Huh. So putting themselves they have to put themselves in the other side's shoes. Squarely in the other side's shoes. They want to know, they have to think carefully through, through the manner in which the people in the other room feel they haven't been treated. And, and you know what, that, that is forced empathy yeah. 101. Must be hard I mean, for people or, or even a shock that they're, you know, they're going in there and they're being forced to do this when they really are going with their own arguments in mind. You've got it bang on. It is one of the hardest things for people to do is to is to walk into a room and acknowledge that the people with whom they are furious and at odds and in in a fractious way uh, that that they have that their first order of business is to think about how the other party's been hurt and injured and treated unfairly. And boy, is that ever an effective tool to break the ice. Yeah. Because as soon as you have a list on the board, um, and Ben, believe me, George will supplement your list if it's not long enough. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, it really puts you in a mindset to recognize that like every story that you ever heard, there's two sides, sometimes three sides to it. And you have to remember that just as your interests haven't been necessarily met and you've been put into a place where where your expectations have been have been defeated in some way in your relationship, you're with your business partner, with whoever, with your with your wife, your your husband, whoever it is. The other side has a feeling of injustice too. They have a feeling of not being treated fairly for reasons which may not mirror yours. They may be they may run down a different channel entirely. And understanding that and, and having empathy for that is at the core of resolving any dispute. And, I and guess that is really as true in the world. Yeah, it's really the start of that process of working to to come closer to a mutual solution. That. Yep, and you know, in litigation in its old iteration, before we started calling ourselves, you know, this, you know, we now call ourselves more grandly that we, you know, we we practice dispute resolution rather than litigation, right. which I think is a is a better descriptor for what we mm-hmm. should be doing. But in the old days, it was I want to try cases. I want to get on my feet. You know, and I still hear that from from law students and from, from young lawyers who say like, you know, what, what do they value most about their experience at a firm? Well, I get on my feet a lot. Hmm. Well, it's also what's think, TV well, that's, to your point around, you know, suits or Boston legal before it. It's all about the, 
we won, they lost. We did this in court. The judge heard us and we were anointed. I mean, it's a totally different thing that's lauded versus what is really, as you say, in the best interest of the client. Yeah. And, and I ask myself when I hear people say, and I, I've, I've paused on this a few times, it, it gets, I have to be careful about how I do, how I raise this with people. But when I, you know, when I hear people in my profession say that, I often, I often ask them, I said, well, so how is the client's interest advanced because you want to get on your feet? Right. Hmm. And, Cause all we we're really here to do is, uh, is to do everything within our power to act in our client's best interests and to advance their best interests. And sometimes advancing their best interest does mean you got to get on your feet because there's a problem that simply can't be solved because one of the actors won't play ball nicely. Won't, you know, doesn't have a, uh, won't acknowledge, won't, uh, their wrongdoing won't participate in a conciliatory process to try to allow everyone to move forward. And sometimes you got to get on your feet and you know, when you get on your feet, you better be good at it. Um, which, you know, and so learning the tactical skills, learning the forensic skills of, of advocacy are essential. But, you know, Phil Epstein, who was a renowned family lawyer, said to me in 1990 for the first time, so coming up on 30 years ago, he looked at me, we call him the emperor because he speaks that way. But the emperor said to me, court is for losers. Huh. And, and I didn't realize until about five years ago that the emperor was only about 25 years ahead of his time in understanding that. Um, and, you know, Phil worked very hard over the years to be mindful of the things and uh, I've been, been describing. He was a, a matrimonial lawyer. And so his world was much more alive to the interpersonal conflict aspects of what I've been describing. And, um, and I, I just see it in a more expansive way, I guess. Now, well, well, Corey, we could um, we could chat about this forever. I mean, I'm uh, but I'm I'm thrilled to have had you on and to get these insights. Um, so perhaps I, I could just ask you to sum up. Uh, you know, if there were three lessons or three pieces of hard won advice that you would share with anyone who was about to enter a contentious dispute, what would they be? Let me start with the axiom in my, in my business, which is the clients end up with the lawyers they deserve. <laughs> um, uh, and, um, and so if you feel you deserve a fair outcome, make sure you're with a lawyer that um, will take the time to listen carefully to what you're saying and, and to, to not simply follow your immediate knee-jerk reaction instructions. Follow someone who will test your instructions and will ask you questions about what your real needs are. So that the first thing okay. is making sure you're in, in the right hands because the, the, you'll, you'll need someone where there's a good uh, resonance of viewpoint between you and your, and your counsel. But the second thing I would say for people who are in those circumstances is, is learn to put your guard down with your lawyer for, as a starting point. And that means being honest with your lawyer, being, courageous enough to be able to talk about, about why you're really not feeling good about how, where you are in your relationship, whether it's your, your marriage, whether it's your business partnership, whether it's your uh, relationship with a stakeholder in your business, whatever it is, don't be afraid to let your guard down and talk about what's making you feel scared and what's making you feel anxious. And don't forget to think about the fact that you are feeling scared and anxious, especially when what you're really feeling is anger 
remember that the anger is actually probably a reflection of the fact that you're scared about mm-hmm. something and, and, and helping yourself understand that you're scared will help you explain that to your lawyer because the best thing you can do is to arm your lawyer with, with the, what you're actually experiencing. So I, I would say that's the, the second thing. And then the third thing is to let the lawyer be your shepherd. Uh, if you've got a good lawyer and you've you've picked somebody uh, in accordance with rule one and you've told them uh, what you need to tell them in accordance with rule two, you're in probably pretty good hands and, and, and have the courage to follow your counsel's advice about what the outcome should be. And then secondly, how you're going to get there and be patient as the process goes along because there's going to be bumps in the road and, and you're going to hear things you don't want to hear. But uh but it's an important process to go through and, and remember that, that the end objective is to, is to get to a place that's going to allow you to get back to what you're good at um, and, to, and to focus on the things that are positive in your life and not the grievances of the past. Yeah, that's well said and that the real best outcome may not be the one you think. Gord, this yeah. has been, been hugely valuable. I've, I've learned a lot. <laughs> you know, you've, uh, though you perhaps forever ruin courtroom dramas for me, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but with, with good reason. Look, if people want to get in touch with you, I mean, if, if they do have contentious disputes and they, they do want to find a lawyer who can help them in this way, see the, the real need, how can they get in touch with you uh, and, uh, and your firm? Uh, we're on the web at paliarroland.com, which is, I think you can spell out, but it's P-A-L-I-A-R-E-R-O-L-A-N-D.com. And uh, you can surf around through the 35 to 40 lawyers in my firm, and uh, you'll find a whole group of us that are, that are like-minded in the way that we approach the advocacy process. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for sharing your insights. Thank you, Bart. Appreciate your time, too. I hope you enjoyed my discussion with Gord Capern, who is a senior partner at the law firm Pallier Roland. Gord certainly challenges some assumptions about what successful litigation is, that it's not just about the big settlement or the big win, but really about a resolution that for both sides addresses more than just the financials. And uh, I certainly uh, think in in the times that we live in, or rhetoric is heated, and sides are polarized, everyone would be wise to uh, take away some of his thinking and uh, apply it to our discourse. If you enjoyed this conversation, make sure you subscribed. Uh, take the time to leave us a review. I greatly appreciate them. And uh, make sure you're ready for the next episode. I'll be bringing on Kathy Woods. Kathy is a partner at Deloitte and uh, has some tremendous insights on how the world of work is changing and what that means for leadership and leadership communication. That's coming to you next. Until then.